is Marla, and I'm a partner here at Mercy View. Um, I'll be reading from 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 10. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of, is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Hope we're doing well tonight. My name's Trey. Uh, I'm on staff here at Mercy View, and uh, excited to get to open up God's Word with you and jump into this text. But before we do that, um, just want to acknowledge the uh, very loud and noisy elephant in the room, which is all of our kids. Um, And it's our family worship Sunday. We do this a few times a year. Every fifth Sunday, we get an opportunity to have the kiddos come in with us. And um, we just, parents, just do me a favor. Just take a deep breath and recognize that it's going to be loud. It's going to be wiggly. There's going to be noises. And all of that is okay. Like if you're worried that your neighbor can hear your kid, they can. And we accept it and we know it and we believe that it's a grace from God because this is an amazing thing for a church our size to have this many kids in it. Like it's just such a cool thing. And so we're so excited to get to have family worship um, tonight. Um, and so just take a deep breath, parents. It's going to be all right. Um, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to leave those open there to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through, or 6 through 10. Um, and that's just where we're going to camp out. We're going to be there all evening. Um, when we see a book of the Bible that has somebody's name attached to it, uh, typically we assume that that's the person who wrote the book, right? Who wrote the book or the letter. Um, and in this case, it's, it's not so. Uh, there's a few letters in the New Testament that are addressed to specific people. And 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, those, those are all part of that collection. And this is a book written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor in the burgeoning church that's in the ancient city of Ephesus in Asia Minor about 100 miles from Greece there on the coast. And if you've read the book of Acts and you go back and you look at the story, starting in about chapter 16, what you'll see is that Timothy was this young man who had a Jewish mom and a Greek father, and his mom and his grandma were believers, and they brought Timothy up in the faith. And Paul gets acquainted with him as he is in one of the various places he has an extended stint of time. And he brings Timothy under his wing and he decides he's going to take Timothy in and be a spiritual father to him and start to disciple him in the faith. And he brings him along on one of his missionary journeys. And from Acts 16, we see Paul and Silas and Timothy, they set out on this journey. And Paul's taking Timothy, who is a young believer, and he's teaching him how to expound scripture and how to dig into the word. He's teaching him what it means to share the gospel and to be a witness. And he brings him along with him to the city of Athens. Like when Paul is giving his big speech in the Areopagus and he's, he's talking to the uh, folks about the altar to the unknown God, Timothy's right there. 
but he's in the mix of it. And as Paul plants the church in Ephesus and his job of planning is done and he's ready to leave and go do something else, he leaves Timothy there in this young but vibrant church. And so Paul's now writing a letter to him to encourage him after this missionary journey is over. And uh, at the time that he wrote the letter, Paul was, whether he knew it or not, getting close to the end of his life. And he writes this letter as a spiritual father to his spiritual son to encourage him in his work and remind him of all that he's learned. And the text that we read tonight is a charge to Timothy to, in, in our words, make disciples. He's a pastor. It's to do his job as a pastor, but it's to, it's to take what he's learned, what's been given to him, and to go and reproduce that in other people. And so Paul has some instructions for him. And as we look at the task that Paul gives to Timothy here, and we see what that has for you and I this evening, I, I want us to start, before we get to understanding exactly what it is that Paul says to him, I want us to start with asking a question, because this question is going to frame everything else that we talk about. And it's this, what is God's greatest desire for you in your life? Like if we could boil that down into a single sentence, like what does God want the most for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl made in his image in this room this evening? What is God's greatest desire for you? It's a question that's been asked many times before. It, it was asked in the 1600s when uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism was written. And the first question that's asked is what is the chief end? What is the highest purpose, reason for being of mankind. And we read a catechism here each week, so we kind of know how that works. It's a question that has an answer. And the Westminster Catechism answers it this way. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end, man's highest purpose. The reason that we exist is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Tonight, we're talking about discipleship. And we're going to define discipleship from our text in 1 Timothy 4. But before we define what discipleship is, we have to see why discipleship matters. See, discipleship matters because discipleship is primarily about the glory of God. Because you and I exist primarily for the glory of God. Our lives are meant to be about the glory of God. And so why do we make disciples? We make disciples because every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl on this planet was made to glorify God. But only those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus as he calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light will enjoy him in this life and the next. All of us will glorify God. Only those who trust Jesus will get to glorify God through the way they live their life now by enjoying him in this life and doing so in eternity. Everyone might get to experience some of the joys in God's things in this life, but only those who are disciples, only those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus and are moving along toward holiness are going to see that God is glorified with their lives and afforded joy in him now and forever. You see, di discipleship is about the glory of God 
and it is about the enjoyment of God now and into eternity. And so that's why we make disciples. And so looking at our text tonight, here is what Paul shows us uh, about what a disciple is meant to look like. And as he's talking to Timothy and giving him this charge of how to pastor this church in Ephesus, this daunting task, this is what he says discipleship looks like. I I draw it here from uh, verses 6 through 10. But here's what a disciple is. Disciples are those who are nourished in the words of faith and good doctrine, who are trained for godliness and who have all their toil and striving rooted in their hope set on the living God. It's one sentence, probably a run-on. It's got three distinct parts, all of them pulled here from this text. And what I want to do with our time together tonight is I want to take that definition, I want to take it phrase by phrase, and I want us to look at what it means to be a disciple. And so first, disciples are those who are nourished in the words of faith and good doctrine. So if you go back and lay this definition over top of our text, what you'll see is that it's really just verses 6, 7, and 10 with all the stuff that's in the middle kind of pulled out of it and, and distilled down into a single sentence. Something else you'll notice, though, if you're reading from the ESV tonight, which is what we read on the screen this evening, what's in the pew backs behind you, is that it doesn't 100% match word for word with the definition that we just read together. If we were to read it in the ESV with that word, it would sound something like this. Disciples are those who are trained in the words of faith and sound doctrine. But the definition that we just read, it says this, disciples are those who are nourished in the word and doctrine. And as I was preparing this week, something struck me that, that I hadn't noticed and I was just a little thrown off by. Um, and that's that the ESV translates this word here as trained in verse 6. But most of the other English translations, actually every other English translation that I looked at, translated the word as nourished. And I was like, that's a little odd because the ESV is normally sticking really close to the text. And like, maybe if I'm looking at the NIV or the NLT or maybe the message, it's going to say nourished. But I mean, I'm looking at the NASB and the NET, like these, these translations that when they translate the word, they just try to say, okay, what's the exact match in English for this word? And they translate it as nourished. And I'm like, okay, why, why is this the case? And so I did a little bit of digging, not a Greek scholar, Hadn't taken any Greek, just know how to read some concordances and some dictionaries. And I found the reason that it was translated as trained in the ESV and nourished in the others is because the word means to be nourished or trained in the mind. And so both were correct. <laughs> like both translations actually work. When the English word doesn't have a good one-to-one, sometimes they'll just pick one or the other based on what they think the context means. It's not like trained and nourished don't, in a sense, communicate the same thing here. Rather, like my uncle's really fond of saying, it just puts the emphasis in a different spot. The emphasis matters, though. You see, as we think about discipleship tonight, there is a picture that nourish is going to paint for us that trained doesn't in this sentence. And in a minute, we're going to look at the ways in which disciples are trained for godliness and disciplined for godliness because that same English word, it shows up in verse 7, but in Greek, it's different. And so we first need to see what it means to be nourished before we are trained. And so Paul says, being nourished by the words of faith and good doctrine, 
And we notice that what he's talking about is our spiritual diet. What's going into us? What's forming us? What's shaping the contours of our life and the content of our heart? What are we feasting our mind, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts on? You see, unless we're being nourished by what's true, lovely, and right, there's something lacking in our spiritual training. And in verse 7, Paul's going to go into some physical fitness metaphors, but I want to jump on that a little bit early. Um, Let me ask you this. What do you get if you do a ton of physical training? I'm talking heavy lifting in the weight room, consistency in your time in the gym, and a good cardio regime, but your diet doesn't conform to the physical activity. Like you train and you train, but you eat fast food and late night bowls of cereal while you're sitting on the couch. And what you get is me. Like for the last like four months, like I've been in the weight room consistently, been lifting weights, getting stronger. Like my physical performance when I go into the gym is better. But this doesn't look any different than it did four months ago. And it's because all of that activity without proper nutrition does not produce the visual external results that I'm looking for. Like there might be a little bit going on on the inside, but without being properly nourished, all of that activity isn't doing what I want it to do. Nourishment is important if we're talking about our physical bodies, and it is very important if we're talking about our souls. Like we're talking about our hearts, being nourished is something that we have to do. That's why Paul says to Timothy, be nourished on the words of faith and good doctrine. And so when we port that idea over to discipleship and we place it in the context of spiritual nourishment, like you might be able to do some theological heavy lifting. Like maybe you can run some marathons of prayer and fasting. Maybe for a season you can get your sins and your addictions in check. But listen to me, lasting and evident change starts and ends with the nourishment that comes from the words of faith and good doctrine. We are sustained in our discipleship and equipped for endurance in the Christian life through being nourished by God's word, by being nourished by the gospel. That's what Paul means when he says words of faith and good doctrine here. He means the gospel. In the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, that's where we see what it is that's going to give our souls the nourishment we need to be formed and shaped into the image of Christ. And so we're talking here about spiritual formation. That's what nourishment is. And just like a good diet, our spiritual intake is always discipling. It's always forming us. It's molding and it's shaping our loves and our desires and what we love and desire the most. And so let's take an inventory. Like, does our spiritual nourishment pass the Philippians 4 test? Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So let me ask you, does your political podcast consumption pass the whatever is test? Like, does all the true crime documentary that you're just filling up on on Netflix pass the whatever is test? How about that most recent episode of Bachelor in Paradise? Like, are your TikTok deep dives, are they actually leading you and forming you into the image of Christ? Are you being nourished on the word of faith and good doctrine? 
Because hear me, all of those things and a thousand more like them in our hyper-connected and always turned on world, they're having an effect on the way that we're being formed. And none of them are neutral. They might not all be inherently bad or negatively forming us, but none of them are neutral. Something is taking place. And the more that we reach for these things, rather than we reach for the words of faith and good doctrine, the more we're going to look like the guy standing on the scale with a bag of Cheetos wondering why nothing's changing. Being nourished by God in his word, having a diet that's full of gospel truth and sound doctrine, it doesn't take hours a day of intense study. As good as that can be, that's not what's required. It takes intentionality in the moments that we do have. We have to be intentional with the time that we do have and honest about the kind of ways that we're going to spend our time. It means that while you sit in service on Sunday, you fight the draw to see what's happening on the football field because the word of God is being proclaimed. It means you stop writing out your weekly to-do list while you're sitting there checking emails or liking photos because you know that when we gather, the word of God is proclaimed and the people of God are built up. Listen to me, God's desire is to nourish you in his word. It means you go to bed 30 minutes earlier so that you're not hitting snooze five times in the morning. You can actually get up and have that cup of coffee with God's word by your side. You see, being nourished by the word of faith and good doctrine, it takes intentionality. It takes work. And it's in that work that discipleship is happening. And that is what God is doing. It's what God is using and using his word to form and to shape us and to give us what we need for the next task of being a disciple. This is the second part of that sentence that we read, that definition earlier. This is the next thing we need to see. Disciples are those who are trained for godliness. As Paul goes on in his instructions to Timothy, he says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. I think he means get off Twitter. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Here he uses a different word for what it means to be, uh, to train. And he's drawing a word picture. The type of training that he's mentioning here, it's the kind that those who participate in the Greek Olympic Games would be doing. And so he says in verses 8 and 9 that bodily training is of some value. Like there's value to it. But godliness, that's a value in every way as it holds promise for this present life and for the life to come. And it's a great comparison because good physical fitness and training can lead to some astounding things. Like, just think about the fact that Tom Brady is 45 years old and he's the starting quarterback for an NFL football team. Like, and the reason is because that dude has an amazing physical fitness and recovery routine that keeps his body performing the way that it shouldn't perform at 45 years old. Like, instead of breaking down, like, he's continuing to go. At least it seemed that way until, like, you know, this season started. And it's in part because bodily training has value, but it doesn't have ultimate value. It has an end point. But Paul says that godliness, training in godliness is different. In fact, as good as bodily training is, being trained for godliness is immensely more valuable because it holds value now and into eternity. You know why? Because 
in training for godliness, what we're learning to do is live in line with why God created us. To live for his glory and our joy in him. Like I said earlier, one day all of us will give glory to God, but not everyone's going to do it joyfully. Some will glorify God as vessels of wrath, but others are going to accept the offer that he gives to us today and take the opportunity to glorify him here and now by enjoying him today and forever. What we see in Scripture is that the primary ways that we bring glory and honor to God is through our obedience to him and his word, which is why we're to be trained for godliness to live holy and blameless before God. And so it makes sense that Paul frames it in these terms, like with physical fitness and training in view, because the reality is being trained for godliness is just hard work. Everything in you wants to work against it. It's not easy to put sin to death. It's not easy to find joy in Jesus instead of finding joy in our sin. Yet, that's what we're called to when we are called into discipleship. And so how do we do that? What does it look like to train for godliness? I got a few suggestions. For starters, God by his grace has made it possible for us to be trained for godliness with other people and not having to do it on our own. This thing right here that we're doing tonight, gathering together as the church, Like this is a way that God has designed for us to be trained for godliness because we gather each week so that we're nourished by the words of faith and good doctrine and so that we have opportunity for real genuine friendship and fellowship with other believers. And from these gatherings, as we go out from here each week into our gospel communities, we have the opportunity for the word of God to be pressed into those contours of our life and for our lives to be changed. The goal of our GCs is for us to get a a chance to take the conversations and the fellowship that happen in the meet and greet time and after service here at Mercy View into deeper places as we open scripture and we pray specifically and intentionally for one another in our GCs. Like in our fast pace, running at a hundred mile an hour pace in this world that we live in, it takes real discipline to make time to gather with God's people. Like Sunday at 5 p.m. is just super inconvenient. So Sunday at 10 p.m. or 10 a.m., but you know, it's, it's one of those things that takes intentionality. Like there's a lot more things that we could do with a couple hours of our day. There's a lot more things we could do in the middle of the week with a couple hours than go to GC. But these things matter because God is using them to help train us for godliness. And take it a little bit step further and contextualize it here for Mercy View. One of the ways that you can together with other believers grow in discipleship is to get connected in a D group. If you're not in one, send me an email. Info at mercyview.com. It'll get to me. I want to connect you to someone. Because D groups are this amazing way where two or three people of the same gender can get together and they can fight for holiness by taking the scripture and pressing it into our lives by being intentional about confronting our sin, by praying for one another. But that has been the most valuable thing for me in the last four years here at Mercy View. I've been with the same guy for the last four years every week, and he knows me. And he can look at me and say, dude, you're being an idiot. 
He can look at me and say, hey man, I see where God has taken you from this place and brought you to this place. And I'm encouraged and I'm strengthened. But it's hard. It's hard work. It's training. But oh, the benefit. Oh, the joy. Being trained for godliness, it happens in your own heart too. It's not just in community, though community is vital and it's essential and it has to happen. But what you'll find is that in private is when you're the most, you need the most discipline. Those moments when you're on your own, they're tough because it's where your character's being formed because no one else is standing over your shoulder watching. It's in the private moments where we're practicing the spiritual disciplines of reading, memorizing, meditating on scripture, when we're praying, when we're getting alone and fasting, when we're getting quiet before the Lord, when we're sharing the gospel, when we're using our money in ways that serve God's mission in the world. These are spiritual and character-forming activities. And so I want you to think for a moment. Can you imagine what life would look like if you started to live like someone who was training for godliness? Like, how does your marriage look different if you are being trained for godliness in the way that you interact with your spouse? How does your relationship with your kids look different if you are being trained for godliness? How does that conversation with your coworker or with your client look different if you're being trained for godliness? How would your private thought life get transformed or your feelings about the future and all that anxiety that's bottled up inside of you look different if God was training you for godliness? Here's the thing, and it's the last thing we have to see tonight. Disciples are those who work hard. They work out their salvation with fear and trembling, but they do so with their hopes set on the living God. Look at verse 10. He just said, we find great benefit in this life and in the next through being trained for godliness. And then Paul tells Timothy, his son, his disciple in the faith, for to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Listen, here at Mercy View, we talk a lot about the gospel and about the fact that the good news of Jesus and what he has done means that everything that needed to be done to make us right with God has been accomplished. It's finished. There is nothing we have to do to change our standing before God, but trust in Jesus Christ. It's 100% true. And it doesn't negate a single statement from that last point. That training for godliness is hard work and it's work that we must do. You see, the gospel-centered and Christ-centered life and discipleship, it's made possible by knowing that Christ has done all that needed to be done for our salvation. However, he's done it so that we can now work toward holiness, having been accepted by God and freed from the chains of having to earn our way before his throne. We now joyously move toward him, wanting to look like him, not to be accepted, but because we have been. What's the chief end of man? It's to glorify God, to be trained for godliness, and to enjoy him forever. And in Christ, forever starts in this life. So notice what Paul says, to this end we toil and strive, we labor, we work hard. 
but it is with a glorious goal in mind. The aim of all of our discipleship, of all of our training for godliness, is a hope in God. A hope that we get to enjoy Him forever. That we get to glorify Him through our joy in Him and not through His justice being poured out on us. Friends, the hope of an eternity of endless joy in God through Christ makes every difficult and painful moment of spiritual discipline, of being trained for godliness and discipleship in this life worth it. One final thought before we go on tonight. Um, we're about to celebrate baptism here in just a moment. We've got several folks who are going to be baptized and I want you to keep this in front of your mind as we get ready to baptize these folks. Each one of them is being baptized because they have been discipled by someone who was a disciple. Like tonight, we're talking about discipleship and defining what discipleship is. And one of the key components of discipleship is that disciples make other disciples. Someone who is a disciple has shared the gospel with the folks who are going to be baptized this evening, and they've come to a saving faith in Jesus. And so, listen, stay-at-home moms, wondering how you can not only be a disciple but make disciples, those little ones in your care, the ones that God has charged you to care for, that you get to see every day, he's given you the opportunity to help move them toward a deeper and fuller discipleship, to know and trust Jesus Paul was not Timothy's first discipler. It was his mama and his grandma. The reason that this letter exists is because Timothy's mom and grandmother were faithful to share the gospel with him. You have an amazing role and opportunity. Listen, those of us who... That's not what we're doing every day. We're going to the office or we're going to wherever it is that we find our work. Listen to me. Every conversation that you get to have at the office or the gym or with the barista at your regular coffee shop is an opportunity for the hope of the gospel to shine out from you. Like one of the stories you're going to hear tonight is about someone who just met a guy at the gym and he saw that his life looked different and the gospel got to shine forth. That can be you. Not because these folks are your projects. Like, I'm not saying that when you go to the coffee shop, you drop off a really awfully produced chick track and, you know, let them know that they're going to go to hell if they don't know Jesus. It's true. You show up and your life looks different. That's what it means to make disciples. The gospel shines through you. And so, friends, be nourished, be trained, set your hope on the living God, and go make more disciples. Let's pray.